0: Colby Daniels podcast. It's Tuesday, and I'm joined by my weekly Tuesday guest. He is Eric G from the Tulsa Sports Animal. Eric, what is happening today?
1: I am going through John Facenda Audio today. I don't know. I don't know if anybody is aware of this. Okay, but John Facenda and Pete Rosell are being giving given. uh, I think it's called like a radio television award. I don't have the exact award in front of me by the NFL Hall of Fame. So today, if you tune into the show, you're going to hear lots of John Facinda audio because that's what um, that's what Coach Jones wants today. So I'm in the middle of, of cutting all that up, and in the middle of cutting it up, I'm going to ask: Is there anybody? I mean, w- whether you were well, John Facenda died, I think in the in the 80s. He died in the early 80s. But has there been anybody whose voice? Is more synonymous with the National Football League than his. And if you don't know who John Passino is, I guess that answers the question. He's the guy. He's the guy you hear on all the the old NFL film stuff. But right. whether it's Pat Summerall, Joe Buck, Harry Callis, um Greg Gumbel, Phil Sims, Okay, insert your jokes there. No. Who is the most synonymous? NFL boys is it John Facenda or is it or is it a guy like Brad Sham who does the Dallas Cowboys play by play
0: I that's a really interesting question I would say that if you were going to create a poll or if I were going to create a poll Facenda would be on the list I think uh Steve Sable would be on the list
1: Yes definitely
0: And I might put John Madden on the list I know he wasn't a play by play guy, but his voice I think is so unique that, and and he became a massive star uh, as far as the national football league. I I think like you hear John Madden's voice, you immediately know what's being talked about or like, I think those two things just correlate in, in a way that uh, there's an instant reaction to it as opposed to like, maybe some other names where you're like, who is that? Like, You know what I mean? John, it's interesting that you bring up
1: Madden. And and Madden may be it. He may be the, I mean, just the brand most associated with the NFL because his brand has long outlived his broadcasting career, which his broadcasting career stretched into a couple of decades, maybe three decades. I can't remember if he was still doing stuff in the early 2000s or not, but it was Madden and Summerall. And then it w- was it Buck and Madden after that? I'm trying to remember who he part- partnered with on Fox. But for all that CBS run, you had Madden all you had Madden Fox, you had the beginning of the Madden um, video game, which is still probably the biggest video game brand today, at least in the sports world. So, yeah, it might be John Madden. And that makes me wonder how many kids play that game, know who John Madden is his voice hasn't been on the video game for years? Do they know who that game is named after, or right. is it just right a, a brand of them?
0: I, I probably just a brand. I, that's a great question. Something that uh, you, you know, I, I think my demographic would take for granted, but I think you're probably right. Um, I believe at the end he did. Did he? Did he not do Monday Night Football with Al Michaels at the very end, or am I mistaken? He may he may, he may have, he may have. I'm trying
1: to remember who was all doing Monday Night Football, but he may.
0: Yeah, there was a rotating door evening. for a few years.
1: <laughs> that, that, that poor, but that poor Monday Night Football. Ugh. <laughs> but I think he might. Yeah, I think him and Michaels may have, may have done it while it was still on ABC. I, I'd have to go back and look.
0: And I know that he was with Summerall at Fox for a period of time. I don't know if they ended the Fox run together or or not, but I know that they, were they, they were they were at Fox together for a period of time.
1: I don't think they did. And I think now probably when we think about the big when we think about the big NFL game, don't we associate Aikman and Buck as as kind of the kings of that? Have they become the the, the number one broadcast team regardless? of, of networks, like when that game is featured, you know it's the biggest you know it's the biggest game
0: of the week. Are they bigger than Nance and Romo? I think
1: they are. Um, I well, I think you split it. I think Aikman is bigger than Romo. Nance is bigger than Buck.
0: The problem is I think for yeah. Nance his voice I think correlates to other sports more than football. So, like, even though he's great at football, I'm not taking anyth- anything away from his football ability. But, like, when I think Jim Nance, I don't think football, right?
1: No, you probably think, what, golf? Yeah. Back, NCAA I, basketball? Yeah, I would
0: say golf first. And then, yeah, probably NCAA basketball second.
1: Probably what I think it would. But, as much as I think of him as an NFL guy, baseball
0: is the first thing that comes to mind. right.
1: And that has to do with his association with the St. Louis Cardinals and his father's association with the St. Louis Cardinals, and all those years that he called the World Series on Fox. I think of him as a Major League Baseball guy first and foremost. That just happens to do the NFL, and much like Nance, he's he's extremely good at it. Maybe I, I'm probably. I mean, the featured game of the week is always Sunday night. That's what the NFL has made Sunday night football, the featured game of the week. So maybe the featured crew is is Michael and Collinsworth, even though I know that that a lot of people like to bag on Collinsworth, the guy is still really good at what he does as far as being able to break things down. And you have to give it to him for not being afraid to have an opinion because that's what we want out of our color commentators. We want them to be just as opinionated as our talk show hosts. And that guy doesn't hold anything back, whether you agree with him or disagree with him.
0: Yeah, that's true. I think uh, I think Al Michaels is probably the play-by-play voice that I most associate to the NFL. That's
1: and, probably right. I don't think of him with any other sports at this, at this right. point in time. I
0: mean, he has the "Do you believe in miracles?" call. That's you know one of the most historic calls in broadcast history. Uh, but yeah, I think he, I mean he is—he's a football guy, and, and has been I think for like two decades, right? I mean, when you hear Al Michaels, yeah, you're not thinking Olympic coverage or anything like that. You're thinking NFL.
1: You're thinking NFL, even though his his the call he will be most associated with comes from Olympic hockey, or in a lot of ways, sort of a a pop culture, you know, bringing together nation type moment. Football is probably the first thing that comes front and center. In fact, I don't even know. I don't really remember him. I was I was too young to remember him and guys like Keith Jackson when they did baseball. Like Keith Jackson, he did baseball. He did other stuff, for really. ADC, but when you think of him, yeah, it's college football. I mean, think of I, like, had no, I had literally had no
0: idea that 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 happened. Are
1: you are you serious? Yeah, oh, yeah. go back. He was. I think. He and Howard Cosell might have been on the call when Chambliss sit one out in the American League Championship Series for the Yankees, and the crowd stormed the field. I think they were on the call that night. Wow! Go back to YouTube. Go back to YouTube and watch it. But yeah, he got so synonymous with college football that you forget he was on the first Monday Night Football broadcast before they solidified that booth with um, Cosell and Gifford and uh, Don Meredith. So, yeah, he has this, like long-story career, but when you think about this guy who went to Washington State but is from the state of Georgia, uh, you think of him saying the word Alabama or belly <laughs> washer right. or whatever. Right. <laughs> Calling the yeah, Rose Bowl, yeah. Still has, yeah, that's, you, think of him, you think of this guy who has still just enough of this rich southern accent yeah. to call the Rose Bowl, and yet it's, it, it's, not, it's not out of place. So no, that dude had a phenomenal broadcasting career that it just seems to kind of, it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You did all this other stuff. But you know, tell me about college football and I think if you ever heard him in interviews, he liked to talk about college football more than, more than other things, For even sure. though there was a point in time, um, he wasn't really happy with the direction that the sport, the sport had taken by not going to a playoff and doing the BCS and, I remember he wasn't really happy when OU played Washington State in the Rose Bowl because for him, you know, it was packed you know, Pac Ten and and Big Ten at the time and just, you know, who were these interlopers coming in, but still phenomenal. So you, you can't you, you can't praise his broadcasting ability enough.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, if if you apply the same question that you asked at the top of this to college football, I think Keith Jackson is my answer. Um,
1: yeah. I think most people would still answer that, even people who've never yeah. heard of him. be like You've got to be
0: t Here's here's a question for you, uh, and this is such a travesty to me. But uh, do you know who the current Monday Night Football play-by-play guy is? Steve Levy. Correct. Correct. I didn't know if you'd know that or not. <laughs> who was the Who was the Who was the Monday Night guy before him?
1: Ah, uh, okay. Um. Okay, now was Levy on with Booger McFarlane, or was it Joe Tessator that was on with Booger McFarlane?
0: It was Joe Tessator.
1: Okay. Good job, two I for two. Remember, Hey, thank you. Not bad. <laughs> I have no life. I couldn't remember if they kept Levy and got rid of McFarlane, or they got rid of them both.
0: They got rid of them but both Joe Tessitore and brought a, in Levy, yep. Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick
1: which isn't bad. I think what I, and ESPN knows this better than anyone. And I've said this a million times, but we have to quit trying to create, you, you can't fake chemistry. You, you cannot recreate what the, you know, the, the Holy Trinity of Cosell Gifford and Meredith had. you, you can't recreate that. and and ABC's tried it for years, ESPN has tried it. All you can do in broadcasting is put a couple of people or three people inside a booth and see if it works. And just because it works in rehearsals doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for uh, now 17-game season. So you have to be very cognizant of, of just knowing that there's going to be some swings and misses when you, when you put all this together and eventually it's one of those things. Eventually you'll get the right crew or eventually you'll get a crew that hits it out of the park enough that, that it works. But sometimes it's not three. Sometimes it's just two. Um, there are the odd booths where one guy can dominate like Ben Scully. I mean, Ben Scully doesn't need anyone in the booth with him to make it a great broadcast. The guy just, he he can fill a room. He's such a great storyteller, but the idea that you just keep trying to recreate Monday night football and make it into an event. Sorry. NBC has beaten everybody at that with Sunday night football. And it's not just the broadcast crew. It a lot of it has to do with that studio show that they do. Um, Although I will say as much as I like Mike Tirico, I like, the fit of Dan Patrick, Rodney Harrison And Tony Dungy a little bit better um, And You know Even for as good as that is sometimes Are you Dungy's talking Sunday Night Football now? Too, or, yeah, Sunday Night Football, okay. yeah.
2: yeah
1: I mean, it was the whole package That made that thing good The best show on television, Colby The best show, period, bar none Regardless, scripted Non-scripted You know, sitcom, drama, whatever is the NBA on TNT. And as, if you've watched any of the um, documentaries that they've done on that, you know, perceiving their broadcast, they all say, I mean, it just kind of clicked. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't that, you know, TNT went through this, you know, long vetting process of, okay, you know, okay, well, we tried all these guys and Charles Barkley was the best. We tried all these guys and Kenny Smith was the best. It's, hey we got a chance to get these guys let's just see what happens and it works yeah. it works because you've got a guy like Ernie Johnson who can balance everyone out Charles Barkley who doesn't hold back kenny has got his personality and he can be the mediator if he needs to be between Shaq and and Barkley in there you know when when they get at when they get going at each other and then you've got Shaq who's just a, you know, literally a larger-than-life personality. But when one of those guys leaves, even if they put Draymond Green in,
0: who is right. going
1: to be a phenomenal, Draymond Green's going to be a phenomenal broadcaster when he gets these opportunity. it's not going to be the same. It's just not. And people are going to be disappointed because it's Draymond instead of one of the other, one of the other right. That's just what happens. Like your show, I mean, it just, you all click. Y'all click organic and it worked, radio, and yeah, and unfortunately for the rest of us, it was why can't you be more like them and <laughs> to people because you can't be, you can't be more like them. It, like I don't have Toby's personality, you know. Kelly doesn't have Kelly's not Sam, and you know, you know, Anthony's not Sam. So I mean, you can't, you know. It, Broadcasting is not like sports in a sense where if they're doing it, we got to do it too. That's how you end up shooting yourself in the foot. You figure out what works for you and and, and how to stand out. And, you know, the original Monday Night Football crew, TNT, you know, NBA on TNT, they figured it out. And and think about it. That's two instances. And how many sports shows have we seen in the last 50 years of our lives? And we can think of two that just stand out above all others, which tells you how incredibly hard that is to do in our
0: business. Absolutely. It's incredibly difficult. And, you know, there was a time when we were, you know, especially when we were kids, like what happened on Monday Night Football was the gospel, right? Like if if it happened on Monday Night Football, that like cemented your legacy. That's how big Monday Night Football was at one time. Now it, it almost feels like it's an afterthought.
1: Yeah. And you're gonna watch Monday Night Football. You, you ask who's playing, right? Yeah. <laughs> you ask, right. You, you 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 ask who's playing because Sunday night was was the big game. Monday night is okay. Well, right, what else is on on Monday night? <laughs> okay. Well, you're you know if you're into the ba- if you're into basketball season, I'm on the NBA by then. It's like look unless the Patriots are playing on Monday night yeah. or the Cowboys. I'm on, you know, I'm on the, you know, I'm on to the NBA at at that point in time. So, yeah, and I think Thursday night's a lot the same way. They wanted to make, you know, NFL wanted to make Thursday night event. I, I don't know if there's such a thing as there's never there's never too much football, but you have given viewers the opportunity to not. To tune out if, if they want. It's not, on, can't, it's not can't miss games.
0: television anymore.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely right. You now, Thursday night, there's usually, the Thursday night product's usually not that good because teams are coming off Sunday games and they haven't had that long to practice and it just, a lot of times it seems sloppy. And sometimes they're dog. sometimes they really are dog matchups, but yeah, I mean, what's funny is, is even though it's not Campus TV, the ratings wise, it still outperforms everything yep. else that's on TV that night.
0: Eric, I actually look forward more to Thursday night football than Monday night football, and and look, I, I'm not going to pretend that Thursday night football has better matchups, but Monday night football isn't the premier matchup of the week. You may or may not have a great matchup on Monday night, and Thursday night's the beginning of the football week, as opposed to being so overloaded with football by the time Monday night football rolls around. And if you get Jets-Lions, you've probably lost me unless I really have some fantasy football implications involved in it.
1: Well, that I, that's what everybody's thinking on now on both those matchups on Thursday night and on Monday night, is that you'll have fantasy implications. You'll watch instead of just look down at your phone and try and check box scores or you know, more likely go to whatever app you've got your you've got your fantasy team on just to see how you're doing versus versus the guy you're playing that week. And they're they're just hoping that you'll be engrossed enough to watch it. One thing about Thursday night though, there's been a lot of really good college match matchups on Thursday night. And if I got my choice between NFL and college, I'll take college every time. And the main reason, not necessarily because I think college is, you know, better than the NFL, because I I don't. I mean, it's like NBA versus college um, basketball to some extent, although college football is way better than college basketball. Um, Normally, I'm going to talk about college football more, and I'm just more passionate about it. So if I get like an ACC matchup, let's say it's Miami-Syracuse, Um, even though both teams may be mediocre or it always seems like the ACC's on Thursday night or, you know, you've got BC taking on Baja Tech, I may be more apt to check that out because I know that's probably what we're going to be talking about on Thursday. Um, Now, if it's a good NFL matchup, like, you know, the Cardinals or the Browns or the Chiefs, the Cowboys, somebody local, is playing then, or the Dolphins, the Dolphins or the Raiders. We can't ever go wrong with the Dolphins or the Raiders uh, with us. Then, yeah, then then maybe the NFL gets gets my attention a, a, a little bit more.
0: Yeah. No, I I, I, I get that. Um, question for you. How much do you, or did you, either way, spend time on Monday talking about a Monday night matchup on a show Because I I think for me, like a Monday is completely dedicated to what happened over the weekend. And I don't care if it's the best two teams in the NFL matching up. It could be Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady on Monday night football. It's probably getting zero airtime for me on a Monday compared to everything that has gone on over the last 48 hours in the football world uh, that deserves attention.
1: Next to none. Next to none. And when you come back on Monday, especially if OU's lost or OSU has played a tight game that they were supposed to win and came up on the short in short end of the stick, those things are more important to our listeners than any Monday night any Monday night football matchup. I no matter right. and, and, and no matter what happened on Sunday in the NFL, it's never as big as what happens on college football that weekend in this state. So, no, I I, bear, I spent, you know, very little time, very little yeah. time talking about it. And even on Tuesdays, um, I don't remember breaking, I, <laughs> I say, all right, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. Um, I remember my first co-host getting very irate at me because I didn't watch that, because I didn't watch the Cowboys and somebody play that night. And you screamed at me about it being my job. And the PD screaming at me about, you know, my job and he's a football guy and you need to set him up because he knows football and blah, blah, blah. And well, now I'm going to scream at at you for not watching
0: my Cowboys, Eric, come on. America's team. (laughs) And it was the game where
1: Tony Romo was (laughs) out and Jason Garrett put him back in. Um, But like, that was also Monday's, also the day after a Bob Stoops press conference, right? And OU is, is starting to prepare for the next week. And knowing that, and knowing that the Thunder have stuff going on, and you know, I'm again early in early in that game, I'm trying to figure everything out. I get absolutely ripped for it not once, but twice. You're supposed to be watching Monday Night Football because, by God, he wants to watch Monday Night Football, and he is the star of the show, which was pretty much said to me behind the scenes. Well, two months later, after some, you know, listener thing that we did, it was, oh, you know, you're, you're, you know, the only things that matter, OU football, Thunder basketball, OSU football, everything else is down here. So if you keep it with these three topics, you should be good. And I'm like, yeah, you need listeners to tell you that. I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but you're in Oklahoma. It's college, you know, OU football is king. And you've got this basketball team at the time who had, was going to the playoffs had already played for an NBA championship. There's still kind of a fever pitch about them. Who gives a, damn him about whether or not Tony Romo was yanked in and out of the game. That is what we're supposed to be talking about. And you wait and I get reamed. So sorry. Sorry. head to vent there. Sorry. Sorry. Now, looking now for a shot of whiskey to uh, the East event. No, I,
0: Look, I think that's an interesting point because you, you brought up the press conference. I, I think between on a Monday, especially in Oklahoma and look, NFL markets are completely different, but in Oklahoma, we're not an NFL market. A Monday no. to me is completely dedicated to what happened with the teams, you, the college football teams over the weekend, what was said in the press conference, and look, if you're if you run out of stuff, I think you can do an entire show just on those two things. But if for yeah. some reason you can't make it through an entire show just on like what OU did over the weekend, what OSU did over the weekend, and what was said in the press conferences, then I think like that your next go to would be Big Twelve football. And then I think the next go to yeah. would be like top 25 or top 10 college football. I, I think the yeah. best of the NFL is still be, in this market at least is still behind all of that stuff. And look, I'm a massive NFL fan. Like I lo- the Dallas Cowboys are my favorite professional sports team. So that that kind of puts it into perspective. Like I I want them to win a Super Bowl. I'm super invested into the NFL. Super invested into uh all of that. I, I love the NFL. Like, I am an NFL fan, a diehard NFL fan. But in this market, for as much as I love it, like, I'm not talking to myself. You're talking to your audience, and your audience would much rather hear about, like, what Clemson and Alabama did over the weekend and how OU maybe compares to those teams than whether the Cowboys beat the Packers on Sunday. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I, 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 unless there was just something. That was such a transcendent storyline from the NFL on a Sunday for years. We never even touched the NFL until Tuesday.
1: No, and, and, it, sh- and it shouldn't be. I mean, you, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head, and the only thing that you touch on the NFL, I'm so glad you went there, is what is the big story? What is everybody? talking about from the NFL, meaning what is dominating the ESPN headlines, because what people want is your spin on it. You're my guy. You're the guy I listen to all the time. All these experts are telling me this about Aaron Rodgers, What's your take on it that's going to be different than what I'm hearing from, you know, Mike Greenberg Colin Coward. That's how you do it. I mean, in this market, you better, I mean, you better be college football front and center and everything else doesn't really matter I mean well for the exception of the Thunder and I would say that the Thunder has made people want to talk NBA a little bit more because it goes back to what you said what moves are other teams making and how does that affect what Sam Presti and the Thunder are going to do that's all that's always going to be a big enough topic you can talk about like right now the, the angle for me in the NBA playoffs is whether or not Sam Presti deserves a ring for either the Clippers or the Suns because he supplied both of them with enough talent that he deserves to be uh, considered one of the masterminds of their championship nice, nice. season.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: <laughs> How painful is it? You, I remember one time you threw me off. I I, I, I like, I like had to take a step back. I'm like, what the hell does he mean by this? And. Because I really, honestly, this is, I was like, what? Okay. He's using the word essential. What, what does he mean here? And you said Reggie Jackson is essential to the Thunder winning a championship. And I had to step back and like, what the hell does he mean by that? Essential. Like, I, 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 my brain is like trying to go, my brain is trying to catch up with you when you said that. Yeah. And, you know, 10 years later, I finally understand what you mean. Um, but how painful is it? To watch Reggie Jackson play at the level that he's playing. Know that he's about to be in line for a big contract from the Clippers. And just remember how it did not pan out here in Oklahoma City. That really in Oklahoma City, for as good as he was, he had that one moment against Memphis. Couldn't get along with with Russ and KD. And to know that at one point, for as much as we bemoaned, Harden not being there with Westbrook and Durant, we had Jackson, Westbrook, Durant, Ibaka, right. right, and all we got, all we ever got out of it was getting beat in the uh, beat in the playoffs. It, it's it's becoming more painful now to watch the NBA to watch the NBA and see all these former Thunder players. Campaign, campaign is having a resurgence.
0: Campaign's been terrific, and
1: in Oklahoma. Yeah. And we couldn't wait to get rid of this guy. So do we start to blame the organization for maybe not knowing how to develop and take care of some of these players to know how to get the best of them? Or are we just unlucky enough to say that, yeah, we got them too early in their career for them to be mature and, and play at this level.
0: I dude, I love this conversation. Um, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said. So I, I will start with the Reggie Jackson part. And is it painful? Uh, I, I would say it shouldn't be because if you're a Thunder fan, obviously you're watching him have a lot of success right now. But look, the bottom line is when he left, everybody knew he was a talented guy. It's not as though people thought like this is some bum that can't play in the NBA or, or anything like that. Reggie Jackson's a really good basketball player. It was that he... The Thunder didn't give up on Reggie Jackson. He gave up on the Thunder. I think that's the fair way to say it. He didn't want to embrace his role. Now, it's also completely unfair to say that uh, he didn't deserve better because he was more talented than what they were asking him to do. I mean, the bottom line is Reggie Jackson's one of the best 30 point guards in in the world, right? He's a starting caliber point guard in the NBA. Now, that also doesn't make him an NBA All-Star. And the problem is there was a there was an all star point guard in Oklahoma City, and Reggie Jackson was maybe the best backup point guard in the NBA, but he wasn't getting the role that he deserved, and because of that, he was upset and bitter and didn't want to buy into the role he was given. So uh, it was just a marriage that was never going to work. But I, I don't think it's upsetting because he, you know, he was obviously disgruntled. Now, if he had said, "Look," I deserve better than this, but I'm going to do everything in my power to help this team win while I'm here. And the Thunder were just like, you know what? We don't think this is going to work and moved him. That would probably be more painful than him kind of being the, you know, the guy that he was in the locker room. We've all, you know, heard the reports about how just, you know, he was upset and hard to get along with and all of that. You can't have that. So, uh, no, I don't think that's necessarily painful. Um, The guy was... A, a terrific player. And if you just saw what he did with the, with what he had available to him and the opportunities that he was given, he wasn't given the chance to go score 30 a night. I'm not saying that he would be that, but you also, you have to remember what role he was being asked to play and how well he played it. And he played it really, really well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thought he was a starting caliber point guard Uh, He obviously has proven to be a starting caliber point guard in the NBA. Um, You know, the campaign one is also interesting because we never saw this version of campaign in Oklahoma City. And for some guys, Eric, I mean, I I think sometimes we want to throw a blanket over topics in sports like development with the Thunder and watch guys get better in other places and say like, we're just going to throw a blanket over they don't develop players. Every situation is is unique, and sometimes there are a lot of situations that that line up to, to where you can start having that conversation about whether it's a team issue or it's, you know, just the circumstances dictated that all of these things went in this certain direction. Does Campaign ever become the player he is now if he doesn't get tossed out of OKC, doesn't get tossed out of Chicago, doesn't go overseas, doesn't like kind of have that like, I have to recalibrate things moment if I'm going to have success in the NBA.
1: I don't think I mean, so. we watched a lot I, of campaign. That, 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 it just he
0: was he was OK. I think that's the best way to say it. I, I don't I don't ever think he was like, yeah, the worst point guard ever, but he was just OK. Like if they had kept him fine, if they had moved on from him fine, like I just don't think it was he wasn't at a point where either way. It moved the needle that much in terms of whether the Thunder were going to have success or not.
1: He's that guy that had to have that fall to understand what an opportunity that, that that he blew, that he did not do enough to maintain that opportunity in the NBA. And Monty Williams, here's where you got to give Monty Williams a lot of credit. Monty Williams tried to get through to him in Oklahoma City it's like hey start being you want to be good start being Russell Westbrook into the gym every day and not don't just show up don't just like come in here and drink coffee or you know listen to music or whatever beat Russell Westbrook into the gym and start your workout and I I, I, you know the story kind of goes so much that maybe that didn't really resonate with campaign and having to go to Europe and then Monty, seeing whatever he saw in him, either athletically or as a person, called him and said, Hey, I think you, know, you want to come help us out through the stretch run, and he took it and ran with it. Right. So Give Campaign all the credit in the world. I, I and for Reggie Jackson, you know, rejecting the Thunder, you put you put it on him, but I also kind of put it on Russ and Kevin. Because at some point you guys are the leaders of that team you're the ones that everyone looks to and I think Perk might have even was Perk still with the team at the time yes because if you okay so Perk was those three guys you know and definitely Perk because people listen to Perk I mean you're you're better off in life if you you just do I kind of put it on them for not just grabbing him one day and saying come here This is how things go. Do you deserve better? Yes. Should you be a starting point guard in the NBA? Absolutely. But if you embrace your role here and just work with us, we got a chance to get a ring. And if you get that ring, okay, if you get the ring, there's going to be some organization that that sees how you played and helped win this championship and they're going to think you can bring a little bit of that to them and they're going to want you to start and they're going to want to pay you a max contract out of it I mean that ring will do wonders for your career that pouting and moaning won't and even if it isn't the end all be all people get fooled by that ring people see that ring and then just all of a sudden assume Guys and coaches and organizations are better than what they are or well, whatever they're doing can, can be brought and transcended here. Reggie Jackson would have been a much better place than he stayed or or had just gone to the finals. Even if they'd lost to LeBron, people could would have had the, the narrative of, okay, well, Kevin Durant just can't beat LeBron James. Man, Reggie Jackson balled his ass off right. throughout the playoffs. That right. guy ought to be starting. And then you go to the, the Thunder and try and pry them away. But they did not do that. And I kind of, you know, they're as much to blame as, as anyone else because a GM can tell you that. Yeah, Brooks can tell you that. But when it's your peers or somebody that you respect, when the words are coming from them, generally it has, a much different tone to it. And generally it it, it sinks in. A, it either does one or two things. It either sinks in a, a little bit more and you go, okay, I got to be better. Or you just get pissed off. You get pissed <laughs> off and you say, well, who the hell are you to tell, tell me this? I'm just as good as you are. You don't have any right to be talking to me this, this way, but there, there was, there's a lot to unpack here because when he left, it was goodbye and good riddance. Yeah, I mean that was the tone from Kevin and Russ. Yeah, they did They were glad he was gone, and I don't think they realized at the time maybe how much that that hurt. And but if, also, but if, if your superstars
0: I mean, can't get along with him, then it has to happen. That's the thing.
1: Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right because those are the guys you're you're depending on. You built your organization yeah. around them. Those are the guys that you're, you're you're depending on to get you to that next level, and if if they think he's a bad apple then you really don't have a choice but to listen to them because not listening to them is going to cause more disruptions so sam Presti did sam Presti ultimately did what he had to do it's just one of those things it's like man i wish it would have worked out here but as a thunder if you're a thunder fan i think you can take solace in the fact that as you look at these three draft picks that that Sam Presti has you you've got to look at what's going on in the NBA playoffs right now and think Sam Presti a pretty good judge of talent <laughs> so you might want to have a look absolutely and yeah. and what he's going to do with the draft now yeah there are there are, you know there are enough examples of guys like Mitch Mitch McGarry and Josh Eustace that you know yeah. Well, you know, you can argue that and say, well, he didn't exactly hit that one right. Yeah, but Eric, couch, if you didn't draft contract, Mitch McGarry, whatever, who were you gonna but.
0: draft? Like that that's my thing. If you if you don't draft yeah, Mitch McGarry, yeah. what guy were you gonna draft that actually takes that role and becomes a good player? Like
1: you know, I don't know at that I don't know at that point. I'd have to right. go back and look at that draft, but for every example of good, there's always an example of bad and vice versa.
0: So It depends where you're picking, though. If we're talking about pick number 29, like, if you miss on pick 29 and anybody's holding that against you as far as being a bad evaluator, that's crazy talk. Now, can you... If you're you're missing in the top 10, I don't think you can miss on getting a good player, but you can certainly miss on getting a superstar. I mean, there just aren't superstars available at six. I mean, that's the rule, right?
1: No. No. I I think... Anything, anything past five to me is a roll of the dice. I, I,
0: yeah, I would say anything any, past three, but yeah.
1: I, I, anything past five. And I think you're just, you, you're taking best available and hope and, and hoping for the best. That That is exactly what you do with any, with anything after five. What gets interesting. And I want to put this to you. Do you take, and, and I wouldn't package them both, but do you take that? 16th or 18th pick and go to the Sixers with Kimball Walker and trade for Ben Simmons. <laughs> uh,
0: let's come back to this first and for, in, in, for in, in just a second, because <laughs> yeah. I, I want to hit that too. Uh, and this is a good tease. So I want to go back real quick to the player development thing, because I have a point I want to make that is constantly lost in the NBA today. People don't understand how good and how talented NBA players are. And, you know, we're having the conversation right now about the number six pick, and it's a, it's a crapshoot. I mean, it's, it's like hitting the lottery to get an all-star caliber player, even with the sixth pick in the NBA draft. That also doesn't mean that these are bad basketball players. I, I think one of the most critical elements to NBA success is opportunity. And, like, it's one of those things that I think gets taken for granted and we don't talk about enough, but it's about having the right opportunity as to whether or not you're going to have success in the NBA. And we can use campaign as an example, right? If Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, none of us are even having the conversation about Cameron Payne over the last couple weeks. None of us are. He got the, the right opportunity at the right time, with the right group of guys around him, to have success. And he shined. That doesn't necessarily mean that all guys are going to shine in that situation either. But the key word is opportunity. Once again, and, and Sam Presti obviously is shown to be a terrific talent evaluator. Let's use Domas uh, Sabonis as another example. Obviously, Presti saw the talent. He saw the player that was there. Unfortunately, when he got to Oklahoma City... He was paired with Steven Adams. You can't play, in today's NBA, you can't play Sabonis and Adams together. It's not possible. So, your option to have (laughs) your best five players on the floor is to bury Sabonis in the corner and make him a three-point shooter while Steven Adams is your paint guy. Again, that wasn't a good role for Sabonis, but to keep your five best players on the floor, that's what you had to do. You ship him off, he has the right opportunity to play the right role, and the guy's an NBA All-Star. He's like 20 and 12 every single night. Victor Oladipo's another great example. Presti saw the talent level, saw that this is a good player. In Oklahoma City, he was never going to reach his potential because he plays the same role as Russell Westbrook. You move him, all of a sudden, he's playing with the ball in his hands the majority of the time. He becomes an NBA All-Star. The key to NBA success is opportunity. You have to be in the right spot, asked to do the right thing with the right supporting cast. I mean, there's a bunch of elements to that opportunity word, but opportunity is the key word to anybody in the NBA getting in the right position to succeed.
1: No, that is that is, ab- that is absolutely correct. And I'm trying to think of somebody else you could, you could kind of add to that situation, but I, I think the big thing is for for a guy like Victor Oladipo, he had you gave him an opportunity to go shine in in, in Indiana, and it worked out great. Unfortunately, he got sent to Houston, uh,
0: and now in, Miami, year,
1: right? But yeah, which I mean, hey, I guess all's well that ends well. Because I mean, if you're yeah. going to get stuck anywhere and have a bad house or have a, have a bad season, then hey, man, make sure make sure it's in the make sure it's in Miami. I, Sam Preston has done a really good job of maneuvering talent, and I think kind of with Serge Ibaka, I don't think he was ever going to reach his potential here in Oklahoma City, or he had tapped out in Oklahoma City is probably a better way yeah. is probably a better way to put it. He had kind of tapped out, getting that change of scenery, getting the opportunity to go to Toronto after being traded to Orlando, and now unfortunately he's not. I think he's injured; he's not playing at all. Uh, for the Clippers now, but certainly he, I mean, Preston does right by his guys. Um, I think it would have been interesting. I, I kind of come back to one thing is what would the team have looked like? Had he decided to trade Russell Westbrook at some point while Kevin Durant was, while Kevin Durant was still with the team either before or after James Harden was traded and put Reggie Jackson, in that point guard role or went out and tried to get somebody like a Chris Paul, because the, I think you could have gotten great. You obviously could have gotten great value for Russell Westbrook, right? but would Kevin Durant have thrived more without a Russell Westbrook next to him and playing a little bit more traditional style, playing against maybe a more traditional type point guard with, a really good two uh, alongside him to kind of take off the take the heat off, so you you know he's not the only scoring option there on the floor. And that was one of Oklahoma City's big problems when you think about the Durant Westbrook era. Is when you inserted a guy like Stephen Adams, you had Stephen Adams, Serge Ibaka, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and Andre Robertson as your starting five. Well, I'd say there's only two scoring options in that starting five. And that was one of Oklahoma city's big problems is the rant needed more than one scoring option to take the heat off him and, and open him up. It was either him or Russell. I mean, everybody kind of knew that, that, that so goes the thunder. Yeah. So goes these guys. And what I find so interesting about that, that era of Thunder basketball is the ramp played his best during those 38 games that Russell Westbrook set on the bench Yeah, with, 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 with his knee, with his knee issues, and I, I think I'm a little surprised that after after that year and Durant winning the MVP, the Thunder didn't look different the, the, the following year after that. I, I'm I'm a little surprised by that because yeah. because I think I, I I think as a GM I probably would have made a stupid move and traded Russell Westbrook after that year.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I I think that all of us held on hope that as Russ was a young point guard, and look, I mean, the the conversation when he was drafted was this guy's not a true point guard, right? So when Russell Westbrook was a young player, I think everybody watched the athleticism and overall just talent and ability and upside and just thought, when this guy figures out the basketball part of this, when... The basketball IQ and you know the the point guard experience catches up with the talent level, he's going to be unstoppable, and you pair that with a guy that has the chance to be the best player in the NBA and Kevin Durant, and it's going to be a home run. Uh, the, you know the the signs of Russell Westbrook struggling as a point guard and being a bad pairing for Kevin Durant were there, but I but like I'm guilty of this. I I I was never too concerned about it because he was still such a young player. That like, you know, you don't know how players are going to mature mentally, and the problem with Russ now, in retrospect, as as we're ten years down the road, is he never really turned that corner to become an efficient point guard. I'm not. I know Russell Westbrook is a Hall of Famer and one of the all time greats, but the bottom line is Russell Westbrook never became a, a point guard. And I, I, I don't mean he can't score anything. I'm saying managing a team, managing a game. He never got to the point where, like, a Chris Paul, the, the impact that Chris Paul has on his team and has on a game. Watch how good Trey Young is at controlling the tempo and pace of a basketball game. He's exceptional oh, at Oh, gosh. Russell Westbrook has never had that because Russell Westbrook has one speed. And look, that one speed is good to win a lot of games. But he just he never developed into that guy that, that you kind of needed him to be. And that's okay. that I mean, that doesn't have to be a bad thing, but uh, the, the pairing was never going to be good if you never got the right guy controlling the basketball and making efficient basketball decisions. Uh, and, and again, he was a young player. So to say that it was never going to happen, is also not fair because you don't know you gotta let him have time and experience to see if he turns that corner you're you're definitely
1: right on that on that point but where my question is is where when did the thunder realize he wasn't going to turn the corner because there had to be some point early on they kind of you had to realize this is who he is. Okay. And with him being who he is, is this going to, is this going to help us win a championship? And going back to your point about Trey young, here's the thing I noticed about Trey young. The dude scores a ton of points like Russell Westbrook. However, he's their best shooter on the team. You surround him with guys who are better shooters than, than he are, than he is. Guys that that he can trust, then he's going to make sure he gets the ball to them. I don't see Trey Young as a selfish player. I see Trey Young take a load on his shoulders because he knows if he does not play a certain way, his team has no chance of winning whatsoever. And it really irritates me with him being your best scorer on the floor that he only got up four shots in the fourth quarter of the game the other night.
0: And I well, he was also he was also hurt. Yeah. I
1: know, I know, you, I know he's hurt. But there were a couple of times where they had they had backed off of him. Milwaukee had backed off of him, and he was wide open. Which again, even a hurt Trey Young, you don't leave that guy unguarded. But the ball just never found him. And if I'm, you know, if I'm Nate McMillan, hey, he's down there. Figure out a way to get him the ball. Let's see if he can score. If it just looks too painful, he can't elevate, do whatever. I'll take him off, and we'll not worry about it. We'll live the fight another day. But hey, when he's on the floor, this guy's got to touch the ball because he gives us the best chance to win. And it just felt like it felt like the Hawks just weren't going to give him that weren't going to give him that opportunity uh, the the other night. All that tells uh, me uh, is he, he just game, had
0: no explosiveness to. Three. I think that tells me he just had no explosiveness when he did have the ball in his hands to either separate from a defender or look, he shoots a lot of deep threes because there's a size gap. Um, But you also, to shoot those, Eric, you have to have your legs. Like those are distant shots that if you, I mean, there's a reason why guys miss short late in games because they get tired and their legs go. You add an injury to that. uh, I mean, those are deep threes and to try and get separation off the dribble when you don't have your quickness because like I, I just think there were there was obviously an issue with Trey Young that prevented him from being a factor late in that game
1: I I want to see how he bounces back tonight he's listed as questionable I don't think there's any way he doesn't play tonight no there's any way Trey <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that I think they give, this, it a, give it a. They're going to give it a shot. Game. Yeah,
0: I would imagine they're going to give it a shot. If he can't go, it's just simply because like he can't be a factor.
1: Yeah. But, and yeah. I God, man, they're going to. They, they may be. They may be the most fascinating team to watch this off season. For yeah. as interesting as the Thunder are, they got something, and I want to see. Does management overthink what what they have? do they value the guys they have can they are there others that they feel like they can get and, and put around him? i am i will be zeroed in on them when this, yeah. when when their season ends as far as the move, as far as the moves they're going to make and, and and how they're going to build around Trey Young who is guy yeah, he's he is light years ahead of where i thought he'd be at this point in his career Agreed. I mean, it just blows my mind four year, four years ago he was playing at norman north and now he is three wins away from going to the NBA Finals. That is just yeah, mind blowing, insane, it's insane God, This kid, this kid is just—he's <laughs> everything he was. He was everything he was advertised to be and more. And that was the problem when you watched him at OU. I remember talking to—he's like, yeah, he's gonna be. He would have been better off not playing in college and he found and he gone and actually played for money. I think he would have been a hell of a lot better off because I could see, you could see how his game was going to translate to the NBA. It's like now it, it, it works. I mean, he's ready to play now. If, if you put him in that situation, that's what he's been working on. That's how he knows the that's, point. That's how he understands to play the game, putting him in long Kruger system, which he was never really going to be a fit. Um, but again I go back. I-, I thought by the end of his career at OU Colin Sexton was more ready for the NBA and Agreed. I couldn't have been more wrong on that. Agreed. <laughs> couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah.
0: All right, let's uh let's play Thunder GM. Uh throw me your trade scenario again.
1: All right. I would take either the sixteenth or the eighteenth. Not both. Not both. And if I could the eighteenth. Give it to Philly, give them Kimball Walker, and I would take on Ben Simmons contract and bring him to Oklahoma City. One, go back to everything that you said about Cameron Payne or Reggie Jackson. Ben Simmons needs to change the scenery. Sure. he has been he has been beaten he's been beaten down by Philadelphia, and he has not been the player that that the Sixers expect or their fans expect, and for whatever reason, them trying to convert him to a four, which worked, um, and then having him go back to one, like nothing, nothing's really seeming to work for him there. in Oklahoma City, the other thing is that I would throw in Darius Baisley into this trade as well. And I would tell Ben, I know you want to be a point guard, and, and you've got all the ball handling skills of a point guard. The way we run our offense here in Oklahoma City is Anybody who can handle the ball can bring it up the court and run the offense. Heck, we've got this 17-year-old kid uh, from Europe who was able to do that this year, and he's got the height of a center. Okay, And, and, And we have used him in very creative ways. We've moved him all around the floor because he can rebound. He's got range. He can handle the ball. Well, you've got a lot of those skills. You're just not shooting all that well. We want to put you in as four because we know you can rebound. We know you can be tough, but we're going to work with you on your shooting. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that you become a better shooter and become a better player because it's in our interest that you become a better player. So we're going to do that, but you've got to be willing to to commit to us. Now, contractually, he's already committed, but you just say you've got to be willing to commit commit to us you want to go to California and play that's great we're sending somebody with you and you're going to have a structured vacation where during these times you're going to be in the gym working on it we need to know how bad you want this but I think he's a better fit for this team than Kimball Walker is and Darius Baisley's the guy that you know looked really good his first year not so good this year Uh, You know, is is a little bit more of a chess piece than he is. Like, I can can move Pokicheski around. I don't know what all I can do with Darius Basley. I know I can have him play the four and rebound, and he can go baseline. And he can, at least in his first year, he can shoot. He really, and it got worse this year. I can't see Darius, I mean, can I play Darius Baisley at three? Can I play him any more places than the than the four right now? If you're the Oklahoma City Thunder, where else can you move this guy for him to be successful? Yeah, the
0: problem the problem with that is right now having to defend that position in the NBA. When you look at all of, I mean, on any given night, you're defending you know Durant or LeBron yeah. or Kawhi or Jason Tatum or Chris Middleton or Jimmy Butler or Brandon Ingram. I mean, it's a it's a difficult thing. I, I still like the versatility from Baisley. I still think he's a young player. Uh, I have a really hard time taking anything that happened this past season into account as far as like how I'm going to project any of these guys down the line. I, I think there were just so many elements as far as this season, the, the disruption of COVID, uh, the complete like tank mode the Thunder went into down the stretch. I mean, it. it I, I don't know. I have a really hard time saying anybody can or can't do anything based on what happened in the 2020 NBA season. I don't know that I like the trade because I would rather, I think, roll the dice on getting something else for Kimba and continuing to develop Baisley into a good role player. I don't think he's going to be a star, but into a good role player. I still like his skill set. I still think he's young enough. Ben Simmons to me he look he's a good player. I, I think there's this idea that all of a sudden he's like trash. He's still he's a really good player. The problem is I think people think he's so good that he should and and probably his paycheck demands that he's the first or second best player on a good team. That's not true. The bottom line is Ben Simmons no. is is Draymond Green, not Steph Curry. Ben Simmons no, I, that, needs to be no, that, that's in a, a Draymond Green-type role for a team where you're so good offensively that you don't need him to be a scorer. You can you can allow him to use his skill set, which is defense. He was all defensive NBA this year, to be a guy that can bring the ball up the floor, that can facilitate the offense, that can make passes. like Everything that Draymond Green is for the Warriors, that's what Ben Simmons needs to do if he's going to be on a good team. Can Ben Simmons be the best player on a bad team? Sure he can. But if you want him to, to, to contribute to a championship team, you have to have as much offensive firepower around him as the Warriors had around Draymond Green. He's not a centerpiece because in today's NBA, Eric, every single night I watch the playoffs, somebody's scoring 40 points a night. That used to be a big deal. It's not anymore. The game is so offensive-centric that having one of your five players on the floor that, that is literally not a threat offensively is a killer. And and now you factor in the fact that he makes like 30% of your payroll, you can't do that. He's got to be a he's got to be your like number 4 player. He's got to be your fourth best player if you're going to win a championship. So he just in today's offensive game, if Ben Simmons is your first or second best player, I just don't think it's possible. And your first well, or second best, best players have to be such great shooters. That you can spread the floor enough that his lack of offensive ability uh isn't isn't just going to kill the entire thing.
1: I don't think his I don't think if he came to Oklahoma City, he would be the second best player. At least I don't think so. Be I think it'd be Shea Dort, I think Simmons would probably be your third best player. I mean, there's not I mean, granted, there's not a ton of talent on that right now it's just uh I mean it's, it's an interesting hodgepodge the other thing is all all right have we thought about how Kimba could actually work here in Oklahoma City or are we just too convinced that he's too ball dominant to make it work with Shea and it's going to look too much like Durant and Westbrook when, when, when he's on the court and he won't be getting the ball to Shea because I always thought I thought Shea thrived when the Thunder had him at three and Dort at two and Paul was able to play the one, but again, Chris Paul, Kimball Walker, very different very right. different players, and right. Chris Paul knew how to get people in position. Does Kim, can Kimball Walker do that? Can Kimball Walker be that kind of guy? Or is it just in his nature to be, you know, kind of Russell Westbrook and not as athletic?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to say Kimball Walker can't do that, but everything we've seen from him in his entire NBA career would suggest otherwise. He's a score-first point guard. That's what he is, and there's no shame in being that. Uh, But, like, when you're talking about the construction of a team, a score-first point guard means that the ball's not in Shea's hands as much. So you have to decide if that's a recipe to win or not. Um, Again... Can, can Kimba change the player he is? Sure, he can. That doesn't mean it'll happen, but we don't have any evidence to suggest that he's going to thrive in a position where he's not a score-first point guard. We just saw him play with Boston. It was a terrible fit because they didn't need a score-first point guard, right? They needed a Chris Paul-type point guard to set up Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum, um, now, Kimball wasn't terrible there, but he wasn't he also wasn't as good as we've seen him in the past because those guys are your scoring options. So I th- his fit has to be, you know, being the 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 number one or number two scoring option on a team where he's gonna be ball dominant. I think that's how you're getting the best success out of him. Again, could he come to Oklahoma City and decide to change his game? Sure, he could, but I, I, I think it's just making, an educated decision on whether we've seen enough at the age of 31 from Kimba Walker in the NBA to suggest that all of a sudden he's going to be a completely different player. I don't think that's super realistic. Um, I think he could come to Oklahoma city though, an average 25 plus a game, uh, make his value go through the roof and then go somewhere like the Lakers who need a, a score first point guard, uh, go somewhere like Philly who needs a score first point guard Uh, Somebody like that that has the right pieces in place, and they're missing that guy that's going to have the basketball in his hands and is such a scoring threat that it opens the door for your your front court players that that are obviously super skilled. In LA, it's Anthony Davis and LeBron James. In Philly, it's it's Embiid and Tobias Harris.
1: The one thing that, that, that scares me to death about trading with like the Lakers, I don't know what I mean. What do you get in return from the Lakers?
0: Oh, it would probably have to be something like... I mean, if we're talking about players, I mean, it's probably something like Kuzma. Um, If... if I mean, the realistic option is... And I I don't know the financials of everything, but, I mean, what you're hoping to get, I think, for Kimball Walker, considering the amount of money he's owed, um, is draft picks. And probably take on some money from a team that is going to have to make room for him, I would assume. So... You know that's the other thing that I think people forget. When you're making these moves, sometimes you're just simply taking on a player because yep. you got to make the money work. So with Kimba Walker being owed what 30, mm-hmm. is it, thirty-six million, I think this year, and then thirty-seven next year. Um, wherever you send him, unless it's one of the you know bottom four or five teams in the NBA that just have to hit the the salary basement, uh, you're talking about probably having to get a bad contract in return, but what you're hoping for is just draft picks along with that.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of, that's why I looked at... But the Ben at, Simmons at, thing Simmons, makes a
0: lot of and, sense if, if that's the way you want to go.
1: Well, that's why I looked at it, because in the NBA, as you mentioned, it's contract for contract. And that's been the Thunder's problem ever since they signed Russell Westbrook to that Supermax, is you're stuck. I mean, you're still. I mean, you're still trading Russell Westbrook's Supermax. That's all. That's all they've been doing yeah. since they dealt him to the Rockets. Because in return, you got Chris Paul, um, and from that, you ended up with Al Horford, and now you end up with Kimball Walker. So, if you're going to go contract for contract, which is fine, because the Thunder also have
0: money? to reach the salary basement, right? Like they don't have any other yeah, massive that's, that's money true. guys. So you also need a player that's making a bunch of money for a short period of time to help you get to that bottom floor of the salary cap. Otherwise you're going to have to start paying your guys a ton of money just to reach the minimum. And you don't want to overcommit when you don't know exactly what you have with young players that are still trying to develop. So uh, Kimball, Kimball Walker's contract is honestly valuable. I think to the thunder over these next two years to figure out what you have with these young guys, figure out how you want to spend your money down the, down the road while also not having to invest in guys just to reach what the NBA says you have to spend.
1: It's and for Presley, I, I don't know. I, how sold are you that he's going to use any of these picks to actually pick versus he's going to use them to deal.
0: Well, the goal 100% is to deal like there's, that's the only goal. Um, whether you can actually do that is a completely different story. Like there's this idea that just because you have a bunch of picks, you can, you can throw them all to Houston at number two, and they're going to accept, which is preposterous. I mean, picks are the leverage you need, but that also doesn't mean that the person that just won the lottery wants eight of your first round picks that, you know, may or may not ever be top five picks. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron Davis put this to me last week this way because we were kind of going back and forth on, on what this is like. The, in, in, in the landscape of the NBA, you have to have a superstar, right? You have to have a superstar to build around, and that's the foundation piece. You get like that Kevin Durant, and then you start adding pieces around. Sometimes you're able to get two or three of those kind of guys, and you keep adding pieces around. Sometimes it's just the one, like a Damian Lillard in Portland. But you have to start with that piece. For the sake of this argument, let's just say there's a question mark on Shea because some people think he is. Some people think he's not. So for the sake of this, we're just going to say there's a question mark on Shea. So if you're putting this in real life terms, let's just say the Detroit Pistons who have the first pick, the Houston Rockets who have the second pick, and the Thunder who have the sixth pick are all homeless, right? The goal is to get a home. The goal is to get an NBA superstar. All three of these teams are homeless. They don't have their superstar. They don't have their home. Now, all three of these teams have lottery tickets, right? Hoping to hit the lottery so they can buy their house. The Detroit Pistons won the lottery. They're a homeless person that just has a, got a winning lottery ticket to be able to go buy your house. Same thing, bo- both of the top two picks. The Thunder missed that. They didn't get the, the they won the, you know, they won like a, a $500 scratch off, but they didn't hit the lottery to go buy the house. So what the Thunder are trying to do is go to Detroit or go to Houston and say, hey, we're all homeless here. You just won the lottery and you're about to go buy this house. But what I want to do is I want you to give me that winning lottery ticket so I can buy the house. And I'm going to give you eight lottery tickets so you can hope to win a house in the future. How crazy would that be for Detroit or Houston? <laughs> that is the best analogy
1: I have ever heard of that
0: That would be crazy like, nah, you nobody's can gonna on. trade you, you can hang on nobody's gonna you trade the house to, to just hope that they can get a house in the future that's crazy
1: unless that house that you that, that you think you have to pitch,
0: you know you know you i mean if you think if you think the house like has foundation, foundation issues be, yeah and you think it needs a new like it's going to be too wall, much work flooding, right
1: you know what kind of house you know what kind of houses are on the market here you know are we talking brand new you know built from you know built from the finest you know house builders?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you think you know what ever. that house has a lot of holes in its roof I can live in a cardboard box for another two years, and hopefully get a nicer house in two years. And I can just suffer in this cardboard box for two more years. Then maybe somebody decides to do that. But I just I don't see where you wouldn't at least gamble on getting a brand new no, house as with, opposed not, to being homeless.
1: Not with not with Mobley and not not with Cunningham. I mean th- those are about and <laughs> maybe who's the who's the other guy Thug. Why do I keep Sucks, getting the, yeah. other, the other guy that's out? Yeah, Jay, I mean, I think those three guys. If you've got the top three picks, you you almost have to take them. Yeah, okay. um, I think they're as close to a surefire thing in this draft as, as you are going to get. Now, if you're looking at the first pick, and for some reason you've got Anthony Bennett number one on your board, you might want to trade that pick if you think right. he is the best. If if you have gone and this is the interesting thing with the Thunder. If you've gone through your trades, and let's say the Thunder don't have any of those guys we've mentioned, like on their big board, it's like, okay, if we were in position, would we take this guy, this guy, this guy? And they don't have any of those guys in the top three on their board, and you don't have any of the guys in the top three on your board as, as the Pistons, you might say, you know what, we might want to deal out of this guy because he's good but he's not number one pick good. Like, and that's when the conversation becomes, okay, so we got him If We had a six pick, Will we take him? Yeah. But we don't feel comfortable taking him at number one and paying him like a number one. It doesn't fit. It's not, it, it's not a good deal. Let's go ahead and trade. Let's see if we can't find someone that does have a number one on their board. And then you go, and then you go make that deal. Um, or I, I, you know how likely is it? I keep thinking we always see swaps or trades on on NBA draft night. You know, you draft him down there because we know you can get him, yeah. And, and we know that if anybody trades up, that's who we're going to take. We know you don't want to pay him that. We're willing to pay him that, and then we'll trade. We'll take this person with our pick, and then we'll we'll do the deal later.
2: Right. And
1: I think we could. I still think the Thunder could end up doing that. I I don't know why, but I think they may end up with one of these top three guys in the draft, just based on a trade. Because I'm just not sure how many of these top three guys are top three guys according to scouts and GMs and, and, and what they have found in the evaluation process. Where it's like, okay, yeah, the whole world thinks we ought to take Jalen Suggs third, and he might be the third best guy in this draft, but Mm, we don't. We don't think he's worth it. So
0: honestly, I think it's Cunningham and Suggs, one and two. See, I think Mobley, I think Mobley will go just because he's got something you
1: can't coach, and that's that height. And I think teams fall in love with that. It's there is something about a guy who, and that's the thing. Everybody says the center position is dead. Nah, teams love you if you're over seven foot. It's not dead. No matter what you're.
0: Yeah, it's not dead, Eric, but like, if you're a team that needs everything, I think you have to find the guy that's going to dominate the basketball first and look at, look at the entire NBA. You can, everybody has centers that, I mean, sure, there are the, the Anthony Davises and there are the Joel Embiid's that like coming in are just, you know, so different than everybody else that, that you roll the dice there, but there are so many seven-footers that teams have picked up for next to nothing or late draft picks that I just think the value at the top of the draft for a guy that dominates the basketball versus a guy that doesn't dominate the basketball, is a, it's a drastic difference.
1: No, I think you're right. I, I I think you're right about that, but I do think there there are teams that just they fall in love with size. Yeah. Regardless of that skill set, and they're like, Man, you can't coach that and we'll uh God, we'll just we'll just go ahead we'll just go ahead and take we'll just go ahead and take him. We'll just go ahead and take him and then we'll 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 hope for the bet we'll hope for the best out of that.
0: Yeah. What is what is the Evan Mobley comp for you?
1: DeAndre Ayton.
0: Really? Okay.
1: I that's kind of I you know, I don't I don't know how good Evan I don't know, I don't know how good he is, really. I mean I saw him play with USC. I I mean, I don't know. If if I'm looking for a center of this day and age, I want them to be DeMarcus Cousins. I want them to have that range. Does he have that range? That, that I have. And, I mean, Aiton doesn't have range. I mean, Aiton, I mean, Aiton's a more athletic Steven Adams. I mean, he can go up, he can get dunked. I'm not worried about DeAndre Aiton being able to, to shoot the three. Um, I think he's a better defender than Steven Adams. Much better defender than Steven Adams. But that, that that's, who do you have him comped as?
0: I think, I mean, best case scenario is probably like a Chris Bosh type player. Um, okay, but like it wouldn't shock me if he was you know, like Derek favors.
1: Oh that's a good one that that's that's a much better that's a much better comparison than what I had. I mean seven foot two fifteen I mean, does he have the body I mean, is he big enough in the upper body to play the center and get physical? Can he? Here's my question. If you got him accord, is he is he good enough to guard guys like Anthony Davis when he has to?
0: Not not in year 1 or 2. I mean, he's you know, again, there's just a there's a massive difference between being a grown man and a 19-year-old that is you know, still needs to grow into your body. So um, you know, DeAndre Ayton was how many times did we see Ayton get kind of bullied by Steven Adams those that that first year or two? And now we're finally starting Jeez. to see him become a more physically able, just from a strength standpoint. Like it's—I'm it, not saying he's not like there, gifted uh, physically, but there's a strength element when you're facing a guy like Stephen Adams or Jonas Valanciunas or somebody like that at the NBA level than the guys that you know you faced at USC. It's just—it's not even comparable. So no, I—I yeah. I lo- look—I I love Evan Mobley. In, if you have the third or fourth pick, like I, but I can't imagine taking Evan Mobley over either Cunningham or Suggs, who are gonna dominate the basketball. And I, I think they're kind of different players, so it, it depends what you need a little bit. But I feel like both of those guys look like they have all star potential as as ball dominant point guards in different ways. Because I think Cade is. He, he can facilitate, but he's more of that, like, he's your guy. He's going to go get you buckets and do all the things you need. Jalen Suggs, to me, is probably, even though he's extremely talented and probably underrated as far as, like, athleticism, uh, I, I think he he is such a gifted point guard in the same ways that Chris Paul is to a degree. I think he just has terrific court vision, uh, controls the, the pace of the game uh, in a really great way. I, I think he's one of those guys that probably... Even if he doesn't get you 25, he makes the guys around him better. So those guys to me are just easily one and two if it's me.
1: I don't disagree with you. I just I have a hard time seeing a seven footer slip pass too. And, and and that's just because of, of everything of, of everything I said and I, yeah. I don't want to get redundant on it. Um, a more ball dominant guy in this day and age of the NBA makes a lot more sense. Um, because I don't think, I don't think there'll ever be a time when Evan Mobley is the best player on your team. Right. I, I think he's a, he's the type of guy that if you have him, he, when he develops, he increases your chances to win a championship. But I don't think he's necessarily the single reason you're ever going to win a championship. Whereas the other two guys you were talking about, Kate Cunningham, especially, falls into that category. I, I think Cunningham can be that all-around guy. And people forget, he's 6'8", man. Yeah. He's 6'8", yeah. for cry, crying out loud, 6'8", and I'm thinking with 6'8", oh, baby, I cannot wait to get this guy. I mean, he can point guard. He can two guard. He can, he can if he gets better at shooting, he can three, and certainly he can defend. I mean, like, you're just looking your chops. At, at, at what at what this guy at what this guy can be for you. I don't know if Suggs fault. I don't know if Suggs necessarily is that guy but Cunningham is and I and Suggs, I mean for Suggs, I great tournament. I mean great year but a little under he's a little undersized to be that guy at 6'4". Now 6'8" Uh, you know, it's gonna give you six eight, more athletic, gives you a little bit more room to to move and guys can do more with. Sudge at six four, I see him being pretty much, you know, a one-two guard throughout his career. And for Mobley, if he can develop range, he could be a stretch four or he can go at seven foot, you could you could play the center. I think for him it's gonna be all about his defense and that that'll be that'll be what I watch over those next few years and just how good. Is, is his defense going to be um while he's while he's in the NBA or how early on does he become one of the upper echelon defensive players in the NBA?
0: Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I think that uh I think Suggs is fine from a size standpoint. I mean, Shea's six five, uh Jamal Murray's six three, De'Aaron Fox is six three, uh Chris Paul's what, six one, um Steph is what, six six One six two, maybe. Yeah, Lillard's not big. Like, I I don't think that that's an issue. For I think Suggs is fine. Lillard's six two, Trey's five ten. I've stood next to him, I don't care what it says.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've stood next to him, I'm taller than. I can look him. No, in I'm the, the same height. Which, a, you
0: know, what? Maybe if, uh, if Trey just, Young is six foot, then I'm six foot. That's that's the way I'm going to put it.
1: Okay, there, there there you go. Yeah, I knew I knew Kyler Murray wasn't any five ten. It's like I looked that guy in the eye in a scrum. Now come right, on now, right. come on. Put <laughs> yeah. quit, quit, quit lying about this guy's eye. All right, man. So how do you want to wrap this up? I got a show to go do.
0: Uh, yeah, I think I think we're good, man. I think that uh, that covered it all. So you're taking the Ben Simmons trade. <laughs>
1: I've taking the Ben all, right. all day every day. Just right. give me give me the Ben Simmons trade. i'll I'll take that because, hey, i I don't see Kimba working in Oklahoma City. I think Ben Simmons can.
0: Fair enough. Eric, always appreciate it, my friend. Great conversation, and we will do it again next week. All
1: right, Sounds I'm good.
0: Podcast is
2: over.